I'm Charles Legg, compiler of the Daily Mail's long-running Answers to Correspondence page. Here we answer all the weird and wonderful questions sent in by our readers. In this podcast, I'm going to answer your questions on everything from entertainment to history, from science to sport, from the sensible to the surreal, all with the help of the Daily Mail's top experts. Now, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify, and leave us a review. Today we're joined by the Daily Mail's royal correspondent, Rebecca English, to discuss a few topics surrounding a national obsession, the royal family. I'd like to begin with a story about a relatively obscure but fascinating character for the Victorian era. The question was, does the title, The People's Princess, predate Princess Diana? Over to you, Rebecca. Well, yes, it does. There was another People's Princess many, many moons ago, Princess Mary Adelaide of Cambridge, who was born in 1833 and died in 1897. And she was popularly known at the time as The People's Princess. She was the second daughter and the youngest of the three children of Prince Adolphus, Duke of Cambridge, who was a son of King George III. Uh, she was also the first cousin of Queen Victoria. And she was a very jovial, good-natured and popular member of the royal family. Unlike Diana, however, she was also known as Fat Mary. Yeah, I, I didn't want to say that. I thought I'd let you do that bit. <laughs> yes, yeah. I, there's a lovely description of her when she was travelling through Belgium. And again, I might let you, you relate this, but she, she looked in on King Leopold in 1852. And uh, have you got what the king wrote I, to his niece? I have, yeah, yes. The king wrote to his niece, Queen Victoria, and said, I found her extremely well and very curious as usual, but poor Mary, such a beautiful child, is grown out of all compass to my great regret. Leopold, who is all longitude, was her neighbour and looked quite alarmed. <laughs> That's it's a great description. but <laughs> Quite a polite uh, way of putting it, yes. <laughs> yes, her expanding waistline uh, led to problems with trying to find a suitable husband, I understand. Yes, well, apparently when Prince Oscar of Sweden was dispatched to England with a view to a match being made between the pair, he left having failed even to propose. Alas, stated an exasperated Lord Clarendon, no German prince will venture on so vast an undertaking. I'm <laughs> presuming there, unfortunately for Mary, there was a play on words. Uh, no, absolutely. But in the end, they did find a half-suitable candidate in the body of Prince Francis of Tech. He was of a lower rank than Mary Adelaide and the product of a Morganetic marriage and had no succession rights to the throne of Württemberg, but he was of royal blood. The couples seemingly were very happily married. They married in 1866 at St. Anne's Church, Kew, and went on to have four children. But she was quite a lively character, wasn't she? Yes, very much so. Although Queen Victoria was very fond of her as well. There's a very funny part in one of Queen Victoria's letters in which she wrote of Princess Mary, her size is fearful, it really is a misfortune. But she says that what she loved about her was the fact that she ignored royal protocol. Again, there's a link with Diana there. She yeah. drove in an open carriage through London, waving to the crowds, which made her immensely popular in the eyes of Londoners. And the public were very titillated by her extravagant lifestyle. She lived a life of parties, expensive food, clothes and holidays abroad. Some may again say there were some links there with Diana. Although she was forced with her husband to flee the country in 1883 to avoid her creditors. 
That's extraordinary, really, Go, going into yeah. hiding to avoid their deaths. Yeah, yeah. And we, we do have some current, some current royals who've disappeared off, off from these shores for slightly different reasons. <laughs> yes, exactly. No creditors yet that I know of, although if they don't pay the money back for uh, Frogmore Cottage, uh, the Crown Estate may be after them. Um, uh, no, but that's the true. They'll, be, ba- they'll yeah. be bailing them out very much like Queen Victoria eventually bailed out the Count and Countess von Holmstein. And they, they eventually came to live in uh, Kensington Palace, I think, in, in the White Lodge in Richmond Park. And then, yes, and, and again, very much like Diana, then the princess devoted her life for charity, serving as one of the very early patrons of Bernardo's and other children's charity. So again, the kind of nice dovetailing there of the two, the two women's lives. Yeah, apart from maybe looks, there, were, there was quite a, a link, isn't it, with how they linked with the public. I yeah, exactly. I, exactly. I'm, I'm, very, I'm rather fond of her. I think she, she seemed a laugh, shall we say. She has a character, doesn't she? Yeah, absolutely. Right, shall we move on to another member of the royal family? We'll go for the Queen. So, did the Queen once gate crash a wedding as a prank? Mm, I like this question. Well, we know that she's quite a fan of the photobomb. She did it a number of times at the 2014 Commonwealth Games, I recall. She photobombed a number of athletes, uh, most memorably Jade Taylor and Anna Flanagan of the Australian girls hockey team, the Hockey Roos, who couldn't believe their eyes when they looked at their selfie, which featured an impish looking queen in the background. Yeah. Well, the funny thing, that the, I mean, we're slightly diverting for the subject, but the queen of mobile phones is actually quite interesting. Although she's got her own iPhone, I'm told, she doesn't really understand the kind of selfie culture. She hates going up, her courtiers tell me, going out into the crowds and seeing a sea of faces and not being able to look anybody in the eye because they've all got their phones up in front of them. But there was one occasion back in 2013 when I was at Buckingham Palace for an event and I met this little girl called Jessica who was seven at the time. And I remember really distinctly she showed me a teddy bear and said, do you think the Queen would pose for a picture with this teddy bear with me? And I was like, well, very unlikely, but good luck. You know, fortune favours the bold. And she came back to me after about an hour or so and she said, yep, I did it. I was like, what? And she showed me the picture. And it made all of the front pages of the newspapers, including the Daily Mail, the next day. But she literally just went up to the Queen and said, would you pose for a picture of me and Bertie? And the Queen said, are you a brownie? And she said, yes, I am a brownie. And the Queen said, well, I love the brownies. Do you think the the fact that the bear was called Bertie helped? (laughs) Do you know what? I just think she loved the fact she was a brownie. The girl wasn't polite. She told me she put on her poshest voice. And she asked in such a nice way, she couldn't say no. And in fact, this girl probably got more scoops than I did that year. She got the Queen to pose with Bertie. She got Charles to pose with Bertie. And she got Camilla to pose with Bertie. So fair play to Jessica. You'll have to to (laughs) Um, hire a child to come round with you. With an the teddy bear. Yeah, I'm sorry I digress, but I'd completely forgotten about that until I read this question. No, that's that's a delightful story. Well, back to it then. Did did she (laughs) gatecrash a wedding? She did, and she paid a surprise visit to John and Francis Canning after they tied the knot at Manchester Town Hall in 2012. Now, apparently, um, the royal couple, which is uh, the Queen and then Prince Philip, who obviously was still a working royal then, he's now retired, had been attending a lunch with 200 local volunteers in an adjacent room to the married couple, and the Queen asked if she could congratulate the bride and groom. And apparently spent about five minutes talking to them and posing for photographs. 
Frances sounded shocked and delighted and actually said it was bizarre that she knew our names. She said, hello, John. Hello, Frances. But there was obviously a little bit of a kind of backstory to this that the couple had when they found out that they were going to be sharing the town hall with a certain VIP, when they discovered who it was, they jokingly wrote to Buckingham Palace to invite the Queen and Philip to the celebration, but received a reply politely declining the offer, which they thought, well, well, that, that's it, that's not going to happen then. But actually, as a surprise, the Queen's representatives got in touch with Manchester City Council and asked if they could gatecrash the wedding anyway. Why is the Queen's official birthday different from her actual birthday? Yeah, it'd be nice to have two birthdays, but I don't think she gets two lots of presents, unfortunately. <laughs> well, um, I, I think she does all right for presents. No, it's I think so. Although they, they do say in the royal family, they do tend to exchange kind of smaller, more kind of low-cost gifts. But I suppose on a sliding scale of what low-cost is, it might not be what you and I think is low-cost. But yes, I mean, this is a question that's often asked, which is why I like it, because I think it's nice and topical, because obviously the Queen has just celebrated her 94th birthday. It was on April the 21st. But obviously she has an official birthday in June. It's normally the second Saturday in June from memory. And actually this is quite a long-standing event. Apparently, the monarch's birthday has been in place since the official birthday, since the 17th century, but the notion of having two separate birthdays was first originated with Edward VII, who reigned from 1901 to 1910. And his actual birthday fell on the 9th of November, which is obviously in the middle of winter. And as they wanted a big outdoor military celebration, they decided to also hold an official birthday in the summer months. Hence, we have the Queen's official birthday now. So it's purely in the hope of good weather. Yeah, it is. And obviously, you know, English summers are not always what they are. But, you know, it's such a popular event. And it's really sad that this year we're not actually going to see it because of, you know, the coronavirus pandemic, unfortunately. No, it's desperate, isn't it? And, you know, uh, and is the Queen still up in Balmoral? Uh, uh, isolated? No, no, she's not at Balmoral. Charles is at the Burke Hall, but the Queen's at Windsor with Prince Philip. Um, she always goes to Windsor Easter, but she went there a week early for her Easter court in light of the advice being given to all over 70s. And obviously, you know, as we know, the Queen's in her 90s and very hale and hearty for a woman of her age, but obviously no one is going to take any chances and Philip's with her now. So I was no, And it was to good to see Philip come out and praise the nurses recently. It was fantastic. It shows you that it's still... And, and actually, not just the nurses, he was very keen to praise people like the rubbish collectors, you know, the people yeah. that are keeping the country going at a very difficult time that are not always, not always appreciated. I mean, I was speaking to someone only this morning from the palace and asking when, you know, conceivably we could see the Queen in action again if lockdown is lifted in the next few weeks. But I think the feeling is we probably might see her in public depending on what happens till October or maybe November. So, but she's going to continue to play, you know, a very, very big part in the life of the nation over the kind of coming weeks and months. Yeah. I, I for one miss Philip. I used to love his appearances, just the glint in his eye. I mean, clearly he rubbed some people up the wrong way, but in general, I think pe people adore him, don't they? Yeah, they do. I mean, obviously his sense of humor nowadays is, you know, might, is not what people might call particularly politically correct, but it's a very generational thing. And I was, I was standing there when he 
undertook his last official engagement for his retirement a few years ago. And he had this kind of bowler hat on and he walked away kind of and kind of held the bowler up, hat up in his hair in salute. And I turned around and some of the staff next to me were just crying their eyes out. It was really quite an emotional moment. And I think they realised, as the Queen does, how big a part he has played in the way that she's been able to kind of rule over the last, you know, decades. She's, you know, he has been her strength and stay. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, a power behind the throne, of course. Absolutely, yeah. Someone had asked a while back, watching the Royal Flotilla the other day made me wonder, can the Queen swim? Now, I'm presuming that they were asking because of the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. Do you remember when her and Philip and the rest of the royal family were forced to stand on a boat in the Thames in the driving, freezing rain? Oh, for of course, on yes. That, yes. And Prince Philip went into hospital not long after. Um, and I remember speaking to the organiser of that event, and he said at one point he, he was desperately worrying whether he was going to kill him or not. Anyway, I digress, but I, think <laughs> that's where, but I think that's where it comes from. But the Queen and Princess Margaret, although they were home tutored, receiving tuition from their father as well as other learned people, particularly those um, who were at Eton, who obviously were her grandchildren later on, went to study. But yes, they did both learn to swim, and they learned to swim at London's Bath Club, which was a sports-themed club established in Dover Street that unfortunately was largely destroyed during the Blitz. But it was there that Elizabeth and her sister Margaret's governess, Marion Crawford, who was famously known as Crawfee, she used to take them to learn to swim. And we have quite a good record of this because Crawfee, very controversially at the time, published an account of her time working for the royal family in 1950. And this wasn't sanctioned by the royals, and actually she was banished from court but it does still survive and it gives us a fascinating insight into what was actually a more normal childhood than many other, you know, royal children had experienced. There's a delightful story, isn't there, of their attending the baths for the first time, which I'll let you relate. (laughs) Well, yeah, when they went to the birth tiles, Crawfee recalls that um, the girls stood there kind of slightly awestruck as a young girl... They watched a young girl standing poised on the highest stem of the diving board, her arms outstretched, her body straight as waiting to dive. And the children's grip on her hands tightened and Lilibet, which was the family's affectionate name for Elizabeth, apparently drew her breath with horror. And she turned to the swimming teacher, who I believe was called Miss Daly, and said, we'll never be able to do that. And Miss Daly laughed and said, oh, yes, you will. Probably far more easier than that girl because she's blind. You have to trust me absolutely. You know, you both can see what you're doing and you will be able to do this. But interestingly, she didn't actually get them in the water, first of all, in the kind of, you know, the old-fashioned way they used to. She actually got Elizabeth and Margaret to lay on a wooden bench and then taught them the motions of swimming by asking them to make letter shapes, letter Y, the letter I, the letter T and the letter X with their limbs. Um, Elizabeth was actually very sporty, much more sporty than Margaret, and took to this, well, dare I say, like a duck to water. Um, (laughs) But like a lot of elder sisters, even ones that have good relationships with their younger siblings, she couldn't resist having a little tease of Margaret, who Crawford described as rather plump and wobbling about on the bench. And apparently Elizabeth said, you look like an aeroplane about to conk out. (laughs) That's hard to believe with Margaret. Uh, She was such a stylish lady later on. 
Yeah, she was, yeah. Apparently, they, as I said, they, they did very well at it. And uh, the Duke and Duchess of York, as the then King George VI and Queen Elizabeth, later on the Queen Mother, were then would often come to watch their children. They were really very doting hands-on parents, particularly for members of the royal family. And apparently they were particularly proud when they watched Lilibet um, plunge into the water fully dressed to rescue her drowning sister to win a life-saving award. She got a certificate to prove it, but unfortunately those and a lot of other treasures were lost during the Blitz. Uh, yes, and apparently Lilibet subsequently won the, the Children's Challenge Shield at the Bath Club when she was 13. So she was a consummate swimmer and a consummate sports person. And very clearly, and obviously a consummate rider as well, isn't she? Very, well, very much so. I mean, she's not riding at the moment because of the coronavirus pandemic, but until lockdown happened, she was still out riding with her groom every week. You know, she's, she's a remarkable woman. And I think that's why there's so many questions on her, aren't there? Because there's so many parts of her life that just fascinate people. Yes, I think I could fill this podcast for about a week with questions on the Queen. But sadly, we're going to have to end there, Rebecca. Thank you ever so much for your time. Really appreciate your insight. Not at all. I hope that helped. That's all we've got time for this week. But I'll be back with you and another expert guest in two weeks' time. Don't forget, you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening. <laughs>